Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost story and Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, my co-host is Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room, Alina moderating the chat. A fantastic show coming up for you tonight. Nathaniel Gillis, author and demonologist, is back with us. He was uh, here with us last year to talk about a lot of his research and work. Tonight, we're going to be talking about demons and aliens. Are demons aliens? Are aliens demons or vice versa? What is... it's it's a fascinating topic, and uh, Nathaniel's been doing a lot of research in this area, so uh, we definitely want to pick his brain. Nathaniel, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's been a it's been a journey since I've been on, and uh, I've been very much looking forward to being back with you guys. So it's a humbling honor to be here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, last time we had you on, we talked about uh, demonology and philosophy, but now we're you know, kind of switching gears here a little bit with you and talking about mm-hmm. uh, demons and aliens. And so uh, I, I know in my work you know, we uh, with, with shadow entities, you know, there's an idea that some of them could be ETs. So I guess that is also true with demons, the idea that some of those could be ETs as well. What's, what's your take on this? Well, I think that there is a gap in understanding regarding this phenomenon. Um, there's a lot of there's a there's a seemingly intellectual movement out there, but truthfully, it's an anti-intellectual movement. But it says basically that um, demons cannot be aliens and aliens cannot be demons. And essentially, what happens with a lot of people is that they limit the experiences of our ancestors to the language they use to describe them. And so, what I've done in my research is that I can I went back and I said, okay, let me let me look at these manuscripts. Let me see what the data sample was. Let me strip the dogma, look at the data for what it is. And uh, in, in doing that, I've, I've pretty much come across a, a behavioral pattern that links these two areas of study together. And uh, I'm, I'm anxious to get into that tonight. Yeah, absolutely looking to, uh, like I said, kind of pick your brain on this and you know, I've noticed you know, going back into like ancient times, you see a lot of these these things that we're describing now that that we see and experience. That you see this sort of thing back in our ancient manuscripts, the description of different entities, whether they call them demons or otherwise. Uh, right. You see a lot of um, you know these. Like ancient Sumer, ancient Egypt, a lot of their belief systems had whether it was a part of the soul. Uh, so, where are you you finding these as whether they're ETs or demons or both? Okay, so our ancestors interpreted this phenomenon as the afterlife. Like right now, if you go back into Gobekli Tepe, uh, you will see that they have what are called I idols. They're called I idols. And what our ancient ancestors would do is when they would have someone who died, they would go and create an idol in their image in in hopes that their consciousness, the loved one's consciousness, would possess the idol and communicate through the idol to them. And so in Gobekli Tepe, you have what are called eye idols. It's very unique because archaeologists discovered these idols, and the idols themselves do not have a mouth. All they have are huge eyes. And so your anthropologists and archaeologists believed that, that uh, the reason they created these idols is because their ancestors had possessed a, an ability to talk to them, a language system uh, that neglected the necessity of a mouth and that was communicated silently through the eyes. 
we would call that telepathy. And it's the same language system that these entities are using in UFO abduction phenomenon. And so uh, the, the, most, the most interesting aspect of my research to date is, is primarily centered around how they believed that whatever we're experiencing now in the UFO abduction phenomenon was the afterlife. And a uh, part of that, it's very interesting too, um, the, one of the reasons I believe that's the case is because the very first implant used in history in terms of metal, of carving something on metal and then placing the metal in the body, uh, it was used in a necromantic ritual called the teraphim. The teraphim was also um, a ritual designed to cultivate consciousness and to create an afterlife for a dead ancestor. What they would do is some people would go out to a graveyard, they would dig up a corpse, take it into their home, then they would take a piece of metal and they would carve the name of an unclean spirit on it, Tumarua in the Hebrew, and then they would place that uh, implant underneath the tongue of the corpse in the consciousness of that spirit would then merge with the metal and possess that body and communicate through it. And so, so our ancestors had a fascination with not only preserving the afterlife or preserving consciousness that's out of the body, but more than that, it was how are we going to merge our consciousness with metal? And I do believe that is an extension of the UFO abduction phenomenon, and I believe these entities have have had the ability to, to discover that conscious technology. And I also believe that's why a great deal of our experiences are stepping onto metal craft that are alive in and of themselves. And so I think that's a, a linear thought, but I think it's high time that demonologists give it give it some time and think about that. Maybe, maybe we're interpreting, you know, this wrong. <laughs> That's really interesting. So you're, you're talking about what biomechanics that they are essentially, I guess, saving their consciousness into this metal. Yes. Yeah, so, so in biblical antiquity in the Levant, Mesopotamia, uh, the first thing they be believed was that their consciousness would exist in stales. And our first reference from that perspective is the Katamua inscription in Turkey where Katamua, a Turkish official, says that when I die, my soul will be in my stele. And then from that point on, see, that was uh, that was like marble, and that's um, rock, stone. Now, from that yeah, like point on— like quartz and what have you, yeah. Exactly right. And some implants have been that. And in addition to that, um, they were trying, again, they were trying to create images of their ancestors and then have that consciousness merge with the metal and so then, then the in, image becomes alive, and that's what they believed. And so, again, there, there is an anti-intellectual movement in our field that, that frowns upon uh, religious fundamentalism. And I, I do, too, in a very big degree, I promise you, okay? I grew up Christian and all that, and so I do, I do believe that the dogma is not adding value. But if we understand that we're dealing with ancestors who are doing their best to articulate a phenomenon that had eclipsed their worldview, then, then, then we can start to say, okay, what, what were they really experiencing? You know, what was the data sample? And I, I would say this, and I, I tend to um, kind of ramble. I don't want to do that. Some people say I do, some people say I don't, but I want to no, say- you're fine. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, what I want to say is this, guys, if we're going to look at the UFO abduction phenomenon for what it is, we have a, a life form 
that is literally peeling souls out of bodies. That's an area of this research nobody's really touching as of yet. I mean, I have heard some people talk about it. But what we need to realize, and essentially, is that we're looking at this as if they're plucking people out of their beds physically. And I believe that's true as well. But what I also believe is that these entities have the ability to steal the soul out of the body and treat the soul as if we were treating the body. And so, so um, we're, we're, really, we're working with a, a, a life form that has a profound understanding of the human soul here. Yeah, that's interesting that uh, you you bring that up because uh, we see that a lot with like the the shadow phenomena as well. That there are a lot of similarities between people experiencing shadow phenomena, like if, if they experience that uh, at night in their bed, and a lot of the abduction stories. So, uh, mm-hmm. so are you saying that they were experiencing this you know, back in ancient times as well? Absolutely. Uh, that the, yeah, absolutely, man. Because Okay, so let's go through um, some, some scriptures and some ideas in the Bible of what they were experiencing. Um, now, I know we're all uh, aware of leprosy in biblical antiquity. And, you know, so when I was growing up in church, I thought leprosy back then was what leprosy is now. It wasn't. It was not Hansen's disease. Now, when you go into the nature of leprosy in the Bible, leprosy was tethered to a spiritual condition that manifested itself on the body after you came in contact with a false prophet. This gets very interesting, too, because it's not like I said before. It wasn't that the body had leprosy first. It was a spiritual condition. And so what they believed was that when you came in contact with these false prophets, that there was a defilement or there was an effect that it had on your soul. And what happened on the soul, therefore, manifested on the body as leprosy. Now, we would see that as scoop marks. They saw it (laughs) as leprosy. Now, why is that important to me? Well, it's important to me because um, after one of my shows last year, there was a gentleman who contacted me whose father was a renowned remote viewer. And he said, you know what, Nate? He goes, I want to send you some pictures of uh, what my father was going through before he died. And he said, I just want you to take a look at it. And he said, because I really do believe after listening to your show that my dad encountered these soul hunters, these false prophets. And so he said that his dad would lay down on his bed, his soul would leave his body and he would encounter his guides in this uh, room. And he said, um, there was one night when he was talking to his guides out of the body and they changed their appearance their apparition shifted and it terrified him. And he said, then he said, it scared to death. And he said, then his soul came back into his body. And then they have film. I have pictures. They're going to give me film here shortly. But they have, they have pictures and film of his body manifesting religious amulets and Egyptian hieroglyphs on his chest. And this is a very unique phenomenon because I, I very rarely heard about it or heard it talked about. Because what, is, what seems like it's happening is this. We have Betty Luca, whose husband watches these entities peel her soul out of her body at nighttime. And then she remembers consciously, she remembers exactly what the abduction uh, consisted of. And then when they were finished with her, she went back into her body. And then the next day, the body, right, that they didn't abduct 
the body began to manifest scoop marks. Now, I would suggest that a lot of us are, a lot of the researchers today are focusing on physical abduction. What we need to be looking at is a necromantic technology that is studying our souls. And then when our souls are going back into our bodies, it's manifesting whatever they did to our souls, it manifests on our bodies. And so that's why Yahweh in Ezekiel 13, he called them soul hunters, those who hunt the souls of men to make them fly. And he calls them false prophets. And so my point here, guys, is that even in biblical antiquity, they, they experienced these entities um, as demigods and as false prophets. And whenever they were visited by them or whenever they were abducted by them, it would manifest on their body. Spirit first, body second. Oh, that's a, extremely interesting. And uh, I have a question here, Victoria, I'll hand it to you in, in just a second here. But um, <laughs> I have a question from the chat that since we're going down this route that I want to throw out there. Um, oh, and um, we'll, we'll get to, okay. We just had a $10 super chat come in from uh, Alex Lopez. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, we'll get to your question in just a moment. Uh, and cause I, I did want to get this one from Sarah in here. And, uh, so she asks, does he believe the biblical narrative, a possible potential history of interdimensional phenomenon? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that's what the afterlife is essentially. And, um, yeah. So yes, I do believe that. I don't know which way to go, but yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, yeah. Cause and, it, it does. Worldview. Right. Cause when you, when you're talking about, I mean, when we talk about interdimensional travel and, um, you know, even astral projecting, you're, you're talking about you know, what you're going to call a spirit or soul or what have you. So, uh, what you're saying is that, you know, these demons or they're possibly even ETs are actually hunting our souls. And I think that's, um, you know, what Alex here is, is asking yeah. are, are yeah. these soul hunters actually demons? Okay. So the confusion here is that demons are fallen angels. They're not. Uh, demons in biblical antiquity were their disincarnate consciousness. That's what it was. And so uh, if, if we're going to say that they're demons in the sense of that worldview, absolutely. Uh, a lot of these entities, I believe, are disincarnate. A lot of these entities have, when they died, they elevated to a degree of power and authority, not even authority, but technology. To And, and we have cases of UFO abduction where they've actually been told that. Very unique. You know, I, you know, I, I died. I'm going to, I'm going to, I was called a send, ascended human being and I've developed into this entity. But most importantly, guys, uh, what we're looking at is a life form that has an intimate knowledge of the afterlife. Just like you and I would go into the hospital and get fixed up by a doctor. They're way beyond that. They're doing that to the soul. And what's really interesting to me too, is, is the fact that uh, in Genesis six, it mentions this phenomenon. In Genesis 6, in the Apocryphon of John, I know I say it every interview, but I'm still stuck on it because it's incredibly <laughs> fascinating. But it says that these entities manifested first in Genesis 6. They waited until the husbands were gone to these wives, these women, and then they manifested to the women in the image of their husbands. Now, what were they doing? Well, first of all, I work on incubus cases a lot. And so incubus cases, rather. And so what they're doing is they're tapping into the memory and the mind of the victim, conforming itself, not to what they would want or what, what they would believe in or what they would believe the entity is, but what they would actually prefer the entity to be. 
right? And then from that aspect of it, what are they doing? They're, they're stealing semen from men, and then they're implanting semen in women. That's UFO abduction phenomenon. So if you yeah, that's it, interesting because yeah. you, you hear those sorts of things um, also with uh, – you know, like these stories of, you know, the fairies and, right. uh, you know, th- those types of, uh, you know, interdimensional creatures. Mm-hmm. You do, you do in, in the changelings, especially and how right. they would uh, yeah, doppelgangers and what have you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're still a baby and then place another baby that looks somewhat like it in the crib, hoping you don't see it and realize it. So, so what I think is that these entities have evolved according to the evolution of human thought. And I do believe, do believe that they have created religions with the sole purpose of manipulating us. There was no one that was abducted and, and, and was visited by a Mother Mary apparition until Mariolatry came into existence. Until we believed Mary was divine, then they began to manifest as Mary, right? In Dr. Carla Turner's work, it wasn't until Jesus was worshipped that Jesus was begin w- being witnessed in the UFO abductions. And so what we have here is, is a progression of human experience. But what we, what we also have is an entity that will set us up. Do you believe I am who I say I am? Yes. Well, now it has a form. And once it has a form, this is classic idolatry. Once it has a form, it's start going to start teaching doctrine. And I cannot stress that enough. Right now, a lot of our researchers are focused on the physics. Okay, I love physics and all that. It's great. But we have a real issue when we have apparitions that are starting to teach doctrine. Because that's something that, see, see what happens here, guys, is once they start doing that, and they have, they have elevated the conversation out of science and out of materialism. And now they've made it about religion. And I think we all need to ponder why. So now it's becoming canon, basically, right? Right, right. They're creating prophets. Hmm. They're creating prophets. I have lots and of go, go ahead, Victoria. I'll turn it over to you because I know you had some questions. Uh, I do want to thank Alex again for the uh, super chat. Awesome question. Go ahead, Victoria. Hurry, drink. Okay. Um, <laughs> first of all, let me say I, I don't mean disrespect to anybody or anyone's religion, but I usually yeah. stick my foot in my mouth somehow. So I apologize in advance. <laughs> but when you were talking about, I think you called them the eye statues. Is that what you were calling? Okay. Yes, they're called eye idols. Yeah. Eye idols. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and when someone was deceased, they would put the piece of metal under their tongue. Is that almost the same as people saying they were abducted and they had a piece of metal in them now? Are they like trackers? I believe well, so. I believe so because there is a, a – um a stream of consciousness that exists between the experiencer and the abductor. Um, We have cases where it's almost like possession before the actual abduction. Uh, There was one case I read about where the, the individual was just sitting uh, at his, at his dinner table and he began to see through the eyes of the abductors as Mm -hmm. the, as the entity is landing near the house. And so when there is a a unified stream of consciousness, then we have to ask ourselves, what in the heck is going on here? And when we look at that, again, I do believe that a lot of these, uh, just to your point, a lot of these implants have to do with carbon consciousness in the metal and planting that into a body and to where it's not just like GPS or Google Maps. Now I can just turn it on and there's a consciousness about it. So it's like a processor chip. Sort of. Yes, absolutely. 
Yep. Okay. I don't know if there's any more questions. I, oh, yeah. oh, I have lots of them. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, I, I saw the other day that people were taking, um, when their family members or someone are, has been create, cremated, they've put them in these urns, and the urns mm-hmm. have a certain shape to them. You know where I'm going now? And I think so. When, I think so. When you put a light on it, there's, their, there's daddy's profile over there. Is that mm-hmm. going to be the same thing as, like, the eye statues? Um, someone, now someone. Yeah. Hmm, now you got grandpa's essence over there <laughs> yeah yeah you know and and again these the our ancestors i should say interpreted this phenomenon as the afterlife mm-hmm. and whenever they would encounter these entities it was as if okay these are not just um entities or life forms they're people that have lived and died even in right. biblical antiquity regarding demons tumarua means it's corpse pollution it's somebody who's deceased disincarnate and unclean if there were you know so so mm-hmm. the idea of demonology if we're going to stretch uh alien to you know into the concept of demonology we first have to understand what they believe demons were right. they believed they were unconscious and, or, or disincarnate but conscious entities and so um when we get into the bible and the biblical narrative we see a thematic element that ties their theologies together and that is that consciousness can exist in metal. When we go to the wheel, the Ezekiel's wheel, the prophet, <laughs> this is real cool because people skip over this. The prophet said that the spirit of the being was in the wheel. I'm getting excited. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's all right. Go for it. Mike, Mike, you know me, buddy. Yeah. You know me. He it's said the consciousness. <laughs> yeah. The consciousness of the being, the Bible says it this way, the spirit of the creature was in the wheel. Boom. Right there. Wherever the the spirit went, the wheel went as well. And I do believe they're referring to this technology where uh, it's almost as if the consciousness is not um, anti-gravity or anti um, anti-science or against the rules that of the universe it's actually the opposite it's actually in line with them and they it's either through evolution or they've been taught how to do this or or something um but absolutely so so i thought that was real cool <laughs> right okay. real quick real quick went, yeah yeah we have a uh, ten dollar super sticker from tom mcnicholas and the little pop up you can't see what the actual sticker is but it's a little i guess jumping up and down pair that says number one fan so thank you very much tom for the super sticker he's he's sneaking in off of uh his his break at work again so cool man thanks for tuning in brother i appreciate it i've never done anything like that you know, no never i work when i'm at work anyway okay now we're going down the ezekiel rabbit hole yeah okay um and I mean this in the nicest way with love in my heart. I think the paranormal reality shows have done a huge disservice to humanity right. Right. <laughs> um, because yeah. you can tell when someone is learned or educated because they read, because they mispronounce words all the time. So that's where I'm going with this one. Um, right. And then you can tell where someone, you know, watches videos or watches TV. That's okay too. Um, yeah. For entertainment purposes only. Um, but you had said something about um, demonology and the attachments. And I think that's a word that's thrown around way too much. Oh, we just got an attachment. But then you said Ezekiel. So here I go. I'm pulling out Ezekiel, right? That's and cool. I, wrote it, I wrote it down. Ezekiel 37. Um, blah, blah. Basically, it's a prophecy to these bones. And I say to them, hey, dry bones, 
hear the word of the Lord. And so these bones come alive. And then the mm-hmm. thing that really got me was I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come alive upon you and cover you with skin. Is mm-hmm. that what you mean by attachments? Because that's um, a whole other ball game. Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's go into um, possession. Okay. So in Catholicism, they have prepossession and in possession and post-possession. Now, um, prepossession, they say, usually begins with attachments. And in my own work in demonology and the deliverance ministry, you can usually tell when attachments are taking place. There's another consciousness, there's another another presence that's involved with someone who has an attachment. Uh, it wasn't until I got into the, the book of Ezekiel chapter 13 that I realized, hey, wait a minute, they believed in attachments too, mm-hmm. but they didn't. But they they didn't just stop at saying, okay, these are these are parasitical entities. What they believed is that these soul hunters would literally go into the nighttime, like go into a room at nighttime. They had a specific ritual. They would put, they would induce a sleep state into their victims, and then they would pull the soul out. Okay. And then they would go to the victim and cut a piece of their flesh off and then take that flesh and add it to a body. Okay. So it's like a skin graft. Yeah. Skin graft. Exactly right. Okay. It's a great reference because if we go into Leviticus, our very first physicians perform that same ritual to do skin grafting. Now, the whole idea here was not that these entities were um, extraterrestrial. Um, though they may be, I'm just giving you their perspective. Uh, their perspective was that these were naked souls. These were disincarnate, basically ghosts who had an apparition, but they did not have a body that looked like their apparitions. Hence why in Genesis 6, according to the Apocrypha of John, it mm-hmm. says that they stared into the eyes, hello, UFO abduction, of the female and, until the moment of conception right? We're talking about intimacy here right. until the moment of conception, then they, they stood in their eyes and then they reversed their apparitions. Now, if they were trying to create a child in the womb that looked like the husband, that's what would have happened. But that's not what they did because the abstract, abstracted tradition that they were doing, the, the uh, what is it? The uh, liturgical rite, Mm-hmm. What they were doing was they believed that whatever man the woman was focused upon at the moment of impregnation, that is who she will give birth to as the material image of. So I should not have that Fabio poster over my bed. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, Lord. Dang it. Okay, I'm also, not touching that. I'm not touching that. <laughs> also right. in Genesis 6, all right? And here's where I don't pronounce all the words correctly. That's where the Nephilim come in, yes. right? Yes, okay. Absolutely. Now, I think I, I heard read or something that you said that some of the consciousness um, were actually disembodied consciousness of the Nephilim. Of course, of course, they're refining. Yeah. Okay. There's another word. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they were giants, and now I'm going to pull in your shadow person. Pulling it all in. Um, <laughs> your shadow person was over seven foot tall. Was he a demon? And do you think he could have been said Nephilim? Possibly, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Because uh, in the Apocryphon of John, like I said, what they were doing is they had an apparition, but they didn't have a body that looked like their apparition. So what were they trying to do? They were trying to create a body that looked like their apparition. And so a lot of times we're looking at here, it's it's afterlife phenomenon, but there is a, a nuance of, of, the, of, of reincarnation involved. Okay. 
All righty. Uh, Last question. I have one more. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and I also heard you say that um, the demons are, if you want to call them demons, I don't do the fallen angel thing. That's just, that's too Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, <laughs> nothing against Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. Really like the show. Great show. Yeah. Calm um, down, Buffy fans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My fair name is Willow. So, you know, hey, you can't go too wrong. Yeah. Anyway, you said basically um, the demons are looking for like a, a, a lack of a soul or lack of a purpose or a, a void of a person. And that's what they fill in. Um, yeah. On that front, they do. Attachments, they will usually use sexual trauma, addiction, abuse. Yeah. Where you um, haven't healed from the trauma. Right, right. Okay. And usually if it's a female, usually that entity will manifest as an incubus. And and I want to suggest this, guys, uh, as well. So when we look at the, the tradition of the incubus in, in legend and lore, um, we're not just dealing with a spirit that appears to women as a male. We're dealing with a spirit that grooms the men in the course and has left and still is leaving semen samples. Okay, here's my other question. Um, personally, I identify with being a light worker. Um, some people like Andrea Perone, they have such charisma, they can reach many people. I'm just like, you know, your door to door light worker. Like, you know, <laughs> have you heard about the conscious awakening? So if people are laying out of your higher heart chakra, is that like perhaps maybe, you know, evicting demons? Like, there, there's no place to live anymore because, you know, I have no void. Something to like a degree, that. To, yeah, to, to a degree, there's no there's no voids for them to fill, right? And so, in my book trailer, I say that possession is always the byproduct of self abandonment. So possession you, is nine tenths, right? Possession is nine tenths. Of the, yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, okay. So you know, and a lot of times when you have an incubus case, it's difficult to to get them away from the, the female because they think there's ownership. There's ownership. Right. Um, throughout history, they would make the male impotent. And then so the, the woman would not uh, perform with the husband, mm -hmm. I'll say that. And that way it excludes her from intimacy with any other being but that entity. And so we, as demonologists, we used to believe that the sole purpose of that, that event was just pleasure. It's not. Because there are women that have listened to my shows that have told me, they've, they've listened to me and pulled off the highway and bawled their eyes out because I said that there are, there, there's a lot of people, a lot of women that have experienced these entities even abductions, and once the entities realized they had a hysterectomy recently, the phenomenon has stopped. And so what we're looking at is a battle on two fronts. What, one lady specifically said that um, there was an abduction happening, and as the abduction was taking place, they, these entities, noticed that since she was abducted the last time, she had a hysterectomy. And she said the atmosphere began to change. She said the uh, apparitions changed, and they verbally abused her. Oh, wow! Right, right. So we're looking at a self-replicating species. So, do you think anyone has been abducted, and they're going through all the uh, women have been abducted and going through all these you know abuse scenarios? Yes. And then had a hysterectomy to stop it. Um, do they, I don't know. Do they, Interesting. It's very good. I, I suggest it happen. Um, I, I haven't worked with those particular people yet. I've had people that didn't, you know, they, they didn't know it would stop the, you know, the abduction. It did, thank God. But um, like, let's go back into history. Ariel Masters, 
one of the great researchers. He wrote a book called Eros and Evil and talks about the uh, witchcraft in medieval period, in the medieval period. And he says that these women would go and they would uh, t- they would go to the sabbats they would make love to demons and the demons would actually possess corpses and the corpses would come out and then they would have intercourse. So here's the problem. One of the things that these entities did in a medieval period is they would take the wife out of her bed and then they would place an apparition of another woman that looked like her in her place. Now, wouldn't you know, I found that same behavioral pattern in UFO abduction. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. where they will they will switch. They'll switch. There's a double that they'll place there so that the husband doesn't know she's gone. Okay. And so so these entities, we we've called them demons. And, and you know, some of us have said, okay, they're horns and hooves, and you know, they're they're right. fallen angels and everything. I don't believe that's the case. And so I think that's the mix-up when the question, you know, are they demons or are they extraterrestrials? And, and why is it that we call them demons? Nathaniel, if I could say that, Nathaniel's position on this is not that they're horns and hooves. It's that we've misunderstood what demons were in the first place. And because of that, we've projected that ignorance on this phenomenon as well. Does it make so sense? That, would that kind of, no pun intended, be like a, a two-for-one happy hour? Like if, if the apparition <laughs> is in there yes. with the husband and then the yeah, other I mean, woman's at the Sabbath, yeah, you know, yes, yes. Too, you know, <laughs> exactly right. Um, there's one abductee that said, or one experiencer that said that uh, he would always be abducted, uh, yeah, abducted by an apparition of a beautiful woman, and uh, so then the, the beautiful woman would slip into bed with him as his wife is being abducted. Hmm. So, so what we're looking at here throughout history is what some people call a succubus spirit. Okay. Those are the entities that would manifest via memory. Um, they would literally look into the man and say, okay, what is your type? Like, <laughs> what are you most attracted to? I will become whatever you want me to be in order to seduce you. And then they guess what they have. They have a semen sample. And then now we don't know if these are two separate spirits, mm-hmm. you know, two sexes, two genders. We don't know. It could be one spirit that manifests as one way and then manifests another. But once that entity, that succubus, has the seed, it will change itself to a man, go to a woman, and then do the same thing. Now, and that's where the act of impregnation comes from. And so what I believe has been happening throughout history is they've been doing the same things on two different fronts. And I also do believe that it's the incubus and succubus that have contributed in major, major fashion to the missing fetus syndrome. Oh, oh, interesting. Do they ever keep the samples or the semen samples? I'm working with a lady. I'm working with a lady right now. Uh, She's in in Jersey. She has a a tremendous case. Um, So we're we're, if I can get, I'm going to get the semen samples. I have someone who works in pathology. Uh, I'm if I'm telling you what, guys, I'm just going to lay it out there. If this semen ends up being from somebody who's deceased. Because that's yeah. what they used to do. They used to milk, according to Sinistria of Amino, they would milk the carcasses of the dead. I also believe that's what they did in Genesis 6, is they would take the seed. Yeah, I don't want to get too much deep into that because I know it's, it's very, very dark. But I do believe that. But if, if that turns out to be the case, then demonology will be turned on its head for the first time in history. So because now we have definitive. Huh? This is what? A rabbit hole exclusive? Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. 
<laughs> if we can figure, if we can find out, number one, if even if it's from a man she's ever met before, then what we have here is exactly the UFO abduction phenomenon where they will extract from somebody else and try to implant it into a living woman. And so, uh, oh man, I'm excited. It's possible, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, we have some questions here from the chat room. We do want to get to uh, some of these. And so the first one is a $10 super chat from Jason Carey. So thank you very much, Jason, for the $10 super chat. Uh, this goes back to the ancient metals. Do you think there's a link between the metals of the ancients and the metals that have manifested in demonic possession? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jason's my buddy. Good to see you back on, man. Yeah. Um, he's awesome, man. So uh, absolutely. Matter of fact, if you go into Genesis 6, Remember how I told you what teraphim were when they would they would use metallurgy. They would uh, unite consciousness with metal and plant the metal and consciousness in the body. Wouldn't you know that the wives that these entities manifested to received gifts of metal by them? How Interesting. <laughs> how convenient, right? And so there's a stream here of consciousness, and, and I think that. Um, we need to be looking at the role the afterlife plays in this. I'll tell you why. Because if, if what they're doing to the soul is manifesting on the body as well, then we need to be going to Ian Stevenson's work and say, okay, how is it that we have five-year-olds that are Japanese in descent but know the Indian language? Hmm? And who've actually expressed, I, this is who I used to be. This is my real name. You know, this is where I live. This is how I died. And, and watch this, guys. It's very interesting as well. They would, uh, Ian Stevenson would ask him, okay, so, so how did you die? And they would say, you know what? I got ran over by a car or I, I got shot and killed or something. And wherever their wound was on their body prior mm-hmm. to the past life, it would manifest as a birthmark in this body. So what we're looking at, again, it's affecting the soul, and then the soul is affecting the body. And I, I do believe, again, you guys understand what I'm saying, right? It, 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 so it, it affects the soul. Once the soul is embodied again, it manifests. What it, yeah, I've heard what a lot of those types of stories. Of, of, of yeah. course, the, uh, you know, the, the kids remembering lives that they, right. you know, and people that they have no connection to and should not have. And then, right. yeah, some sort of injury coming back in yeah. the next life as, you know, whether it's a birthmark or even some injury that they bring yeah. with them. So it's very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, let me get to another. Blocking. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm go ahead. Well, it, it's a, it's a technology. It has to be. Or yeah. some kind of spirituality. So, get another question here from uh, this is from Sarah uh, Falvey. Aside the, from the Bible, there are other written examples of Nathaniel's view. Seems like we're focusing on the Bible, which I have nothing against. I'm wondering if there's more than only biblical examples. Yes, when you're reading the Bible, you're reading Mesopotamia. So, when we go to the Rephaim, the Rephaim is a loan word that they 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 got from Mesopotamia. Now, the word Rephaim comes from the word repiumai, which the repiumai are the dead, deceased ancestors. How do we know that? Because we have archaeological bowls. They're called ritual bowls, where the repiumai are mentioned. We also have the apkalu. The apkalu is not what we were. Th- a lot of people think they were. The apkalu is, is where the legend of these Nephilim came from. The apkalu, again, were people that lived and died and were liminal beings. Liminal means that they're in between two worlds. And the idea is that there are people that some people that when they die, they're elevated to a higher dimension, still have consciousness, still, they're still them. Uh, they just have the ability, they have the ability to be, uh, just basically a demigod. Mm 
And so there are um, tons of examples of this phenomenon throughout history. Now, now the, like I said, the Mesopotamians, the Sumerian documents, all of them testify to what the Bible says. The Bible is not creating this new truth. What the Bible's doing is it's referring back to what other people experience and saying, listen, I experienced the same thing. And so it's not that it has a uh, supremacy. Uh, what it is, is it's, what I'm saying is that we know for sure at that part of history that their belief system through Mesopotamia, the Levant, Sumeria, had evolved into what happened and what they recorded in Genesis 6. Does it make sense? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, that's where they got the word refining from. So it's the whole concept they're borrowing. Right. Gotcha. So from Sarah Youssef, if our universe is simulated, do you believe that we are essentially energy farms? A little bit of a different question here. Yeah, okay. If our, if our universe is simulated, do you believe that we are essentially energy farms? Um, the question is, if it is a simulation. Um, there's, one, there's one physicist who says if it is a simulation, it's not made for us. It's made for somebody else, which would lead to the fact that maybe we're we are um, being harvested. And, and Dr. Carla Turner's work mentions that a lot. She has a lot of lectures on YouTube about that. And um, regarding the soul, I do believe these soul hunters would consider us batteries. Where, um, like in, Gen in Ezekiel 13, where they would pull the consciousness out. And, and, and Yahweh mentions, he says, those who should die live, those who should live die. And so what he's talking about is, is that there are abductions that were taking place where they were killing the person to keep themselves alive. And so there's a currency involved, currency of consciousness to them. And, and that's, that's one fear that they had. I'm not sure I buy into that portion of it. You know, but again, we're dealing with their, uh, their, their worldviews and their perceptions. Um, but we are dealing with an entity or entities that are soul harvesting. Uh, Dr. Carla Turner had a case where a woman was not complying with her abductors. The abductor said, okay, look, if you don't comply with us, look at that body over there. She looked and there was a second her there on the slab. And she, they said, we'll kill you, replace you with that. And nobody in your family know the difference. Now, the problem is, though, what's the purpose of killing them? Pulling the consciousness out of the body. So whose consciousness or what's consciousness were they going to put in that double? Right. And so what is, what's the changeling phenomenon? Well, it's, you know, pulling the baby out, put another one in. What if we're dealing with the same thing in a very, in a, a slightly different way? Interesting. Yeah, it, it certainly, uh, sounds, when you get into the changelings and, and things like that, I mean, it, it's kind of a different ball of wax, but, um, yeah, certainly interesting. And when you start talking about simulated universes, is, is really kind of a different topic than what we're talking about this evening. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it just it you're, <laughs> and I don't know how how deep we want to go into that because you know we have talked about you know a lot of theology this evening, yeah. um, Bible and what have you. And at least you know to me, it's it's pretty much already described there in those works, when you look at a lot of our, you know, ancient cultures and in their religious theology, they're essentially, you know, talking about a simulation, not using that word, right, right. but they're basically describing the idea that, you know, we, we had a soul before we came here, we're here for a short period of time, whether it's to learn something or do something. And then, you know, we move on into the afterlife or, you know, we're here, we're preparing for something and then we move on. So, and that's, that's always been, uh, you know, my take on it. So I don't know if you have you're exactly right. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. And one of the real interesting things, and and I read your book, and you talk about it, the Ba'as soul in Egyptology. Mm-hmm. And that Ba'as soul, the concept is is where that, that concept uh, spawned the idea of the disembodied soul that's mentioned in Ezekiel 13. And so one, also an interesting aspect of this is I have a lot of lectures on my on my uh, my laptop here. I've watched them over and over again. A lot of these researchers are claiming that there are UFOs in these, these paintings. And a lot of times they're confusing a Ba'a soul with whatever they want this thing to be. And so what they would do, our ancients, they would paint a ball of light with wings. Why? Because they believed the Ba'a soul was the orb-like person. Who, who, you know, it was like that, that was the apparition that would die, the body would die, and they would leave the body. And so they would put wings on the ball of light because that was their version of the Ba'a soul. And so you have a lot of ufologists out there that are pointing to that saying, okay, guys, see, that's UFO. And I'm like, okay, time out. We cannot project our worldview on the ancients. We have to go back in time, see what you know, contextually what they meant by their words, how it fit into their belief system, how it was culturally, you know, all that. And then, then when we get that truth, then we can, as a researcher, then we apply it to what we're experiencing and say, okay, you know what, maybe there's some comparisons here. But uh, yeah, so we have a lot of people that are confusing ancient UFOs. They're actually boss souls. That's how they interpret Yeah, it, that's a that's definitely a good point. You know, we are, you know, we have our own lens that we're looking yeah. uh, through into the past and, and you're right. You know, the, the, so you had the interpretation from the Egyptians where they, uh, they used that as a bird. So you would right. have the wings and where that soul was going to was, you know, the constellation of Orion, which is a mm-hmm. star. So if you're mixing yeah. those two things, you could see ball of yeah. light with wings because they're going off to a star. Exactly. So yeah, that makes exactly. sense. You know, and, and these were these weren't like ignorant people. Uh, they were doing their best to to handle this phenomenon. And when we get into the Ba'as soul and the bird-like soul, then we get into back into demonology when and in the Book of Psalms when it calls them the snare of the fowler. Why? Because they consider these entities that were peeling souls out of bodies. They consider them either evil or disincarnate consciousness. Basically, the demons, not horns and hooves, but like I said before, but these were definitely present in that time. And so what we have to do right now, at least I am, is I have to look at these texts and say, okay, number one, why are they peeling consciousness out of bodies? Uh, it's like it's like Bob Luca looked and saw his wife's image, his wife's apparition just float out of the window here. And, and so once we get into that and start looking at it as the afterlife or a form of the afterlife, again, we're going to have to step out of the arena of science. And I think that's where they're taking us to. They're taking us back to religion. We have, we have uh, one experiencer who just, who just came out and said that Amin Ra, right, was God, the apparition. So, so as soon as they mention that, it takes the whole conversation out of the hands of the materialists and places it in the hands of okay. Now we got to get historians in on it. We got to get Egypt right. We got to get Egyptologists yeah. because they're referencing and see. Whenever these entities, like I said before, guys, look, it's not just about okay. We have abductions, we have experiencers, we have ships and everything. Okay, well, we we do have that, but we have apparitions as well. And it's not until the apparition manifests and begins to frame history just like they're doing now, as soon as they start framing history, all of us as a unified field need to go, 
oh my God, what are they trying to communicate here? And I think that that's why this year, 2021, it's going to be unprecedented. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. Oh yeah. Even astrology saying that, so. <laughs> it's in the stars. No. It's in the stars. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, uh, question here from Rick Gabbert: Can soul hunters use portals to travel back and forth between the living and dead realms? Yes, yes, yes. We don't know how they do it, but they do. Um, I mean, just even apparitions. We have uh, demonologists in history who would witness apparitions. What they would do? Oh my God! They would pull the moisture out of the air. They would they would solidify it in their image and then they would just look around so they they have a an ability it's either through uh, their consciousness a spirit or technology or all of the above uh to to create an image virtually out of anything there is uh deborah moffett was a uh, a lady she had mr the mr entity it's called a deadly haunting you guys can look it up on youtube she had an entity that uh, when it got angry at a priest that was trying to cast it out of the house they were in the attic and what it began to do is it began to collect moisture out of the air and dust particles out of the air until it formed itself into an image. And now the image can talk. Now it can speak. Now it can be seen. And uh, so these portals, we, we, now Steve Mirror has a lot of good work on portals, by the way. Um, if you guys have never heard of him, he's incredible. So look up Steve Mirror, look for uh, his, his information on portals, but I do believe that they have those and that's how they can enter into our dimension. Well, let me ask you this, because there's a lot of uh, there's been a lot of work and research on these you know ancient sites of power, so places of, around the globe that have tapped into the Earth's energy grid, right? You know, to try to whether it's to enter alter states of consciousness or you know kind of create these portals. So, do these are these entities aware of these portals? Do they, um, I guess, do they sense it? Do they see these things, and so they know that hey. This is this is a location. This is a hot spot on the globe yeah. that I can access and enter. You or do you think they're aware of these places? Yes, yes, and a lot of them are, are graveyards, ancient burial sites. Matter of fact, matter. I mean, I'm t- this is crazy. Um, no, we were just okay. talking about graveyards. But- we were, we were before the show. <laughs> so, so check yeah. us out. So, so going back in time, let's go to um, Psalms one of those. What is it? Yeah, Psalms one hundred ninety six. David mentions the phenomenon of possession. But he, he frames it like this. He says that possession is both in the person and on them. And so the possessing entity would wear them like a skin. It'd be in them, but then it would sit on them like they were a throne. It's very unique. It's a very unique concept, David Paines. Let's take that concept where, you know, a throne, you land on it. You, you know, you sit down, you descend onto a throne. So possession was not just a possessing of the self, but it was something that was sitting on them using them. Um, now let's take that and let's go to the Gilgal Rephaim, Golan Heights. The Gilgal Rephaim, if you look at it, it is literally in the shape of an, of an orb. If you look at an orb and you, you look into it and there's a circle and circle and circle and circle, you see that what they were trying to communicate was afterlife phenomenon. They actually created the Gilgal Rephaim in the shape of the orb. Let's go deeper. Gilgal Rephaim means the wheel, basically the wheel of souls. <laughs> and 
if you go into Gilgal and Raphaim, the, 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 uh, what is it, the definitions, the etymology of it, it, it's a reference back to reincarnation. And matter of fact, if you if you compare an orb to the Gilgal Rephaim, and then you go into these files, NASA files, when we have satellites and we see things shooting off, you'll see these entities, balls of light that are pulsating, right? It looks exactly, look at that, exactly like Gilgal Rephaim. And so what we're dealing with here is it's obviously a phenomenon. But what we have are our ancients who are doing their best to communicate their experiences to us. And a lot of researchers have frowned upon their language, claiming to be intelligent. Oh, well, they all think they're demons. And then I've heard some, especially on Twitter, you know, the, you know, the dropping F-bomb, F-religion, everything. And I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I can understand a lot of that, but what we have to do as researchers is be intellectually responsible enough to say, hey, listen, strip the dogma, spit out the bones. What's there for us? There's a lot here. All right. So we are getting down toward the end of the show, and you have a new book that's coming out. You want to tell us a little bit about that and when it's uh, when we yeah. can expect that? For sure, for sure. The Skin That Crawls is my first book on demonology, and um, – it's, I'm going to take everybody through the history of demonic possession. And then at the very end of it, I'm going to go into the UFO abduction phenomenon, like we we're talking about tonight. I'm going to give them case studies and data samples, uh, just trying to link these two because I do believe they're intimately connected. And I, I'm also, uh, along with Steve, Steve Mira, I believe that we're fighting the same entities on two fronts. And so that's what the book's about. Um, I'm hoping to have it, it'll be done by the end of this month. Uh, it's out for format now. So. Okay. Oh, good. Great. Great. So, any ETA on an actual release date? Yes, the first of next month. Okay, it's so I'll actually pre-order. be out. Oh. Next month. Yeah, it's up for pre-order right now on my uh, underneath my Instagram bio. So you click on that and pre-order it, and then I'll sign it and get it in your hands. So if this is if if I'm right, if I'm right, we're dealing with entities uh, that are performing an illegal form of of reincarnation. Oh, wow. Interesting that you refer to it as an illegal <laughs> yeah. form of, of reincarnation. So I, I guess, you know, what's the authority and, uh, you know, the, the proper way to be reincarnated? Right. Exactly right. So, so okay. So let's look at what Yahweh says in Ezekiel 13. Those who should die live. Those who should live die. What he's describing is the role that death is playing in their ability to stay alive. So they're shaping the story to what end? It's terrifying. Matter of fact, oh, they're false. No. Well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so again, it's uh, their their existence comes at our cost. Like, like there's something that we're paying for right now, so that they can exist. And um, it can be either them creating a new species. It could be them self-replicating. It could be them um, taking their consciousness and keeping it alive by placing it in body after body. And then once this body dies, they can stay alive. Uh, you know, they can stay alive. That's, that's James Frazier. Um, yeah, James. Yeah. So, so, you yeah. know, yeah, it's uh, the, the uh, what is it? The golden bell. When he talks oh, yeah. about the, the warrior, when he says that uh, what would happen in battle in, in, in history is that uh, when a warrior knew he was going to die, he would dispossess his body, place it in another. So that once that body lit, dies, he still survives. Mm-hmm. And I believe what we have here is a, a self-replicating species uh, where you can have 10 different bodies, 10 different grades, but one consciousness. 
I've always heard that we were, yeah, we were here to basically be used feeder food. I don't know. I think, yeah, (laughs) not feeder food, but you know, we're here to serve somebody else. Yeah. Plate. It's, it's all. <laughs> let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Nathaniel. Um, you know, do you think the uh, the ETs and wherever you know world that they are coming from? Do you think that they are dealing with these same problems and issues there in their world as well? I don't know. When we're dealing with entities that can wave their hand over a symbol on their craft and communicate with it as if they're both alive. It's hard to philosophically structure their belief system. It would be difficult for me to look at their worldview through their eyes. As far as I can tell, the only image of them we have throughout history is a species that self-replicates through our women and stays alive because of us. And so when we're looking at reincarnation, we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, it's not that reincarnation doesn't exist. It's that what they're doing to be reincarnated or whatever version of reincarnation they're performing for themselves, it's illegal. And in Ezekiel 13, Yahweh does something very interesting. Instead of being an exorcist and saying, I'm going to pull the spirit out of the body. He says, I'm going to rip the flesh off of your spirit. So if they're replicating, I'm sorry, if they're no, replicating, does that mean there's a finite number? If they have to keep self? I would believe so. I would believe so. And I think that's, but again, that's, you know, James Frazier says that. Basically, you, you have 17 different bodies, which, you know, where is that entity located? It's located in all of them, but it's located in one more than them all. And it's it's such a unique thought, but um. Yeah, I'll stop rambling. <laughs> no, you're fine. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, definitely interesting. And we are pretty much now at the end of the show. Uh, less than two minutes left, okay. I guess, <laughs> for our hour. Uh, but Nathaniel, where can everybody find you? You said they, they could find the link uh, to, to the book through the Instagram, but where can they find you know all the inf- other information about you as well? Okay, so my website is uh, being updated right now, so it's down, but, but it will be back up here soon. You can find me on Facebook as the Nathaniel J. Gillis. You can find me on Instagram as the Nathaniel J. Gillis. And uh, those are all my, my social media sites. All right. Fantastic. Well, it's been a, another very interesting hour with Sweet. you, Daniel. Um, we always have a great discussion with you and it's a lot of philosophical uh, uh, ideas. And so this is always yeah. really interesting, especially since some of the viewpoints that you talk about are, are very different from other things that are out there. So I uh, definitely appreciate it. And guys, you know, go check out his new book and uh, pre-order that. And you said it was an autographed copy, right? Yep. That doesn't mean it's going to be mine, though. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. No, no. no, I'm kidding. Of course. course It'll be Victoria's is. autograph. I'm yeah, still waiting yeah, yeah. for Mike's <laughs> autograph. Yeah. Just send me a post-it note, and I'll stick it in the book. That's all. That's all I ask. There you go. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing, but not. Yeah. yeah, a good chunk of mine are autographed, so I, I would be happy. To oh, man, you have like a whole collection back there. Yeah. Oh, wait, this you got a big library. You know what, guys? It's, it's, it's been amazing, man. <laughs> it's been amazing. And like I said before, I always have a good time with you. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. We'll, we'll definitely have you back again, Nate. You have a great night. You too. You guys have a good one. All right, take care. Bye.